when Ken asked me to pray about speaking today, I asked the Lord to show me what he wanted me to share with you. And he led me to reflect on my walk with the Lord. And what he's been teaching me over the past couple months, I've had the privilege, Ken mentioned Bible Study Fellowship, of studying um, through that organization. And in the past nine months, we've studied the book of Genesis. And there is so much to learn in Genesis and so much that has resonated with me. I've learned the importance of trusting God, waiting on him. I've learned that he is in sovereign control of the past, the present, and the future. His plans are good, his ways are perfect, and his plan of redemption has been put into place since the beginning. And lastly, he uses broken people. And we're all broken people. But God, full of grace and mercy, loves us, redeems us, and grows us in Christ-like character. He chooses us not because of anything that we've done, but because of his great mercy and love. And this morning, we're going to look at our brokenness and God's grace and plan for our lives. And we'll learn that the Holy Spirit equips and enables us to live the holy life that God calls us to. The book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. The first 11 chapters of Genesis include creation, the story of Noah, the Tower of Babel, the fall of man, and then the chapters 12 through 50 are centered on the history of God's chosen people with a focus on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God gives us the beginning of much of life, man and woman, birth and death, sin and redemption in the book of Genesis. The trajectory of history, humanity, and God's vision for the world originate in this book. The beginning of the book, the first two chapters, are the story of creation. While God's creation was originally good, we all know that something changed. All of creation is no longer good. We witness evil and suffering every day. Humanity's rebellion against God and subsequent fall into sin explains this painful reality. This fall into sin is the story of Genesis chapter 3. And we all know that story where Eve was tempted by the serpent and then she enticed Adam and they, and they both fell into sin. All of humanity's problems find their source at the fall. Sin is defined as any thought, action, or attitude that does not express God's holy character or conform to his moral law. Let's review that. Any thought, action, or attitude that does not express God's holy character or conform to his moral law. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Sin has so pervaded human nature that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Also from Romans chapter 3. Sin is our biggest problem. Sin separates us from God and makes us subject to God's wrath. Because of sin in our world, we have illness, poverty, depression, anxiety, death, accidents, and broken families. And I think you could add to that list and go on and on. 
Sin contaminates our attitudes, actions, and relationships. The Bible tells us, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin. Because of Adam's sin, all of us are born with a sin nature. We sin because we are sinners. It is a part of our spiritual DNA. In Romans chapter 6, we read that our sin deserves death, but God's gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I like to say that but God are two of the biggest words in scripture. God, our Heavenly Father, loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know this as the gospel. And it's familiar to you. However, you may be new to church, or this may be the first time you're hearing this. Perhaps the idea that we're all sinners is a new concept to you. And then I throw in that we're all dead in our sins. And dead people cannot do anything on their own volition. Only by the power of God's Holy Spirit can any of us be made aware of our sin and our need for a Savior. My walk with Jesus began as a young girl. And I always remember going to church growing up. I was very blessed. We were there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday night. In the summertime, there was VBS. There were summer revivals. And at the age of six, I asked Jesus to come into my heart at a summer revival. And the message I heard that night went something like this. If you leave here today and you don't know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Savior and you die, you will spend eternity in hell. Admittedly, there was a component of fear as I walked that aisle and asked Jesus to be my Savior. However, there was also a very keen awareness of my own sinfulness, my inability to be right with God or to be good enough on my own. Because of our sin, we are all broken people and we live in a broken world. In our humanness, we try to fix our brokenness. We may try to be really nice people, to be really helpful, keep everybody happy, build a beautiful family, a beautiful home, a successful career, or just to make sure that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. But at some point we realize, or it's probably more accurate to say, God's spirit reveals to us we can't fix ourselves. We can never be good enough. And honestly, our self-effort is in essence playing God, and that in and of itself is sin. But God in his grace opens our eyes to our sin, the death we deserve, and our need for a Savior, and calls us to repentance. Repentance is the solution to our biggest problem. And before we move from our biggest problem to look at our solution, let me ask you a few questions. What current sin are you carrying around? A critical spirit? Unforgiveness towards someone who's wronged you? Bitterness? Anger? Fear? Resentment? Self-centeredness? Or maybe perhaps in what circumstance are your outward actions 
not corresponding with your inward attitude. Maybe your actions appear pleasing to God, but honestly, your attitude is not. Where might God be calling you to turn from your self-efforts and turn to him in faith and trust and obedience? So we've established that sin is our biggest problem and repentance is our solution. So what does repentance mean? Repentance in its simplest form is defined as turning from sin and turning to God. According to the Bible, repentance and faith go together so there can be no genuine turning to Christ in faith without an accompanying rejection of sin. In the New Testament, we see that John the Baptist preached a message of repentance. In Matthew 3, chapter 2, John preached in the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew 4, 17, we read, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples two by two, and they preached that people should repent. And lastly, in Acts 2, 38, on the day of Pentecost, Peter has just preached that Jesus is the Messiah, and the people ask, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. God's command in Scripture to repent is abundantly clear. In Romans 2, 4, it reads, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads us to repentance? God, in his grace and mercy, convicts us of our sin, and he may do that through the words of another person, through a sermon, through your current circumstances, through your suffering, through his word, or maybe just that still, small voice that tells you what you're doing is wrong. Very recently, I had a very dear friend lovingly and very honestly point out that I had acted out of anger and fear, and I had not been so kind in a certain situation. Through her words, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and pointed out that I was sinning in my attitude and my actions How very lovingly and gracious of our God to not leave me in my sin. Repentance is a gift of God's grace and a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be made aware of our sin and by the power of the Holy Spirit can we repent. There are three steps or components to repentance. First, there is that awareness or Speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John chapter 16, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness. Conviction of sin is followed by sorrow and confession of sin. From 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And lastly, not only must we turn from sin, but we must turn to Christ 
Paul says in Acts 20, 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that we must turn, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Our salvation story begins with repentance. But as followers of Christ, we are called to live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance should be a regular and essential part of our spiritual growth. Genuine repentance is more than an emotion. It is a life-changing choice. And when we choose repentance, we receive freedom from the insecurity that comes from self-effort, knowing that our Heavenly Father intimate, knows us intimately and loves us unconditionally. We can choose repentance because we serve a risen Savior. Jesus died the death we deserve, and when we put our faith in him, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. But that's not the end of the story. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he was resurrected on the third day, and he lives today. We serve a risen Savior. So as we walk with Jesus, he opens our eyes to see the sin in our lives and calls us to repentance. Fortunately, God doesn't convict us of all of our sin at once. If he did, we would be so overwhelmed and distraught to be so aware of all of our sinfulness. God reveals to us what we need to know when we need to know it. Our part is to obediently confess our sin, turn from it, and turn to him, and make restitution when necessary to those we've wronged. Sometimes I think we get comfortable in our sin. It's a way of life. Turning from it can on some levels be uncomfortable, and a bit painful. It may mean removing ourselves from certain relationships or groups of people, giving up unhealthy habits, or making time in our busy schedules to serve God where he has called us. But our God is faithful, and his commands can always be coupled with his promises. From Isaiah thirty fifteen, In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen, If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. In Acts three nineteen, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away and times of refreshing may come from God. When we repent, we receive salvation, strength, rest, forgiveness for our sins, and refreshment. But most importantly, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is restored. Our biggest need is a fully restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. A fully restored relationship with God our Father begins with genuine repentance. God's intent in revealing our sin to us and calling us to repentance is not to shackle us to hopelessness or guilt but to set us free, free to live and love the way he intends for us. I shared earlier that I started walking with Jesus at a very young age, and I wish I could stand up here today and tell you that I never strayed from the Lord, but that's not my story. 
As I entered my high school and college years, I bought the world's lie that I needed to sow my wild oats. And I treated my relationship with Christ like fire insurance. I had an awareness of my sinful choices and God's presence and pursuit of me, but I chose to be in control of my life into my mid-20s. It was after I was married and had our first child that the Lord really got a hold of me and drew me to himself in repentance. I realized how self-centered and prideful I had been. He opened my eyes to see how miserable I was. I was trying to keep it all together, trying to make a name for myself, to have everything I wanted when I wanted it. He lovingly showed me how much he loves me and that his are good for me, and he can be trusted. So let me ask you, what acceptable sins do you continue to indulge? What makes it difficult for you to turn away from them? And how might God be trying to get your attention today? How are you responding? Are you responding in obedience? Or are you trying to drown out his voice? Numb your consciousness. In what way does your walk with Jesus reflect a lifestyle of repentance? And how is the truth that God has set you free from specific sins allow you to serve him with self-abandonment? By God's grace, he reveals our sin to us, leads us to repentance, and draws us into relationship with him. But it doesn't end there. God commits himself to the lifelong process of heart and life transformation. And we call this sanctification. Sanctification is defined as the believer's progressive growth in holiness or the conformity to the image of Christ. It is our progressive growth in holiness or conformity into the image of Christ. And sanctification is God's will for our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. As followers of Christ, we still live in a sinful world and we continue to battle our own sinful natures and Satan's temptations. When we turn from our sins and turn to Jesus in faith, we are immediately justified. And justification, another Christianese word, is the gracious act of God in forgiving and declaring righteous the sinner who believes in Jesus Christ. But sanctification that progressive growth in Christ-like character, that's gradual. The Holy Spirit changes us little by little as we surrender to him. Our thoughts, our attitudes, and our words and our actions become more and more Christ-like as we trust and obey him. Sanctification is not a matter of trying harder or a matter of willpower. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives But we must discipline ourselves to seek and obey God. God gives us opportunities to depend on him and trust him more and more. He uses every circumstance, good and bad, our victories and our failures to grow us in Christ-like character. 
and our failures more than anything lead us to recognize and own our absolute need for God and not more of ourselves. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit and therefore it is a divine work, but it is accomplished by faithful use of prayer, Bible study, fellowship with other believers, worship and service to God and his people as we trust in the Holy Spirit to change our character. And as we seek and obey God through these things, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, worshiping and serving God where he calls us, we learn a valuable truth. God uses broken people. We see this repeatedly in the book of Genesis. God did not choose Abraham because of anything Abraham had done, but because of his grace. Scripture tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, the father of our faith, was not without some missteps in his walk with the Lord. Twice in his life, out of fear, he passed Sarah off as his sister and she was taken in to a king's harem. And then there's that whole Hagar debacle. Abraham and Sarah started to doubt God's promise of an offspring, so they used Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, to help God along. But when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, Abraham believes that God can raise the dead, and he is obedient. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham's sin did not disqualify him from God's servants service. And our sin does not, our past sin does not disqualify us from service to our great God. God has deeper purposes than we imagine as we walk with him and in his ways. The Christian life is about steady progress. While growth may seem slow, we can look back and see that we are not the same person we were last year or last month. We can see victory in specific battles with sin and increasing evidence of surrender and obedience. Sometimes it might feel like two steps forward and one step back, but God is faithful and God is in for the long haul. I've experienced the Lord's blessing in my life as I've made my priority to seek and obey him. And I'm not always perfect. I can let me get in the way of my walking with Jesus, my anxiety, my fear, my self-centeredness, my critical spirit, and my pride can put a wedge in my relationship with Jesus. But God has never let go of me. He continually, lovingly points out my sin to me and leads me to repentance. He reveals more and more of himself to me as I study his word fellowship with other believers, worship and praise him. He gives me a desire to know him more, 
love him more and show his love to those around me that he has led into my life. And he daily reminds me that he uses broken people. How has God grown you in Christ-like character as you have surrendered to him? Sometimes I think we need to look back as each new situation come in, comes in and remember how we handled it a year ago or five years ago as God gives us a do-over to try again. And as we surrender to him, it's those little baby steps that he continues to grow us. What area of your life is God calling you to give up control and surrender to him? And how will you obey him today? We can trust that God is patiently at work in our lives, revealing sin, leading us in his righteous ways, and growing us in Christ-like character. We just need to keep in step with him and trust and obey. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've never made that first step of obedience. Turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And that is as simple as talking to the Lord. And we call that prayer and admitting that sin that he's revealed to you, that you've, regardless of what you've done, you can't make it right, and that you need him and give your life to him. Or maybe you are where I was in my teens and my 20s. You have given your life to the Lord, but you're not walking that closely with him. You're a bit far away, and it's kind of hard to hear him right now. Or maybe God's calling you to a deeper walk with him. He's calling you to commit to daily Bible study and prayer. Start serving him in your church. What? Whatever the Lord is speaking you today, speaking to you today, I encourage you to listen and obey. You will not be disappointed. And if you'd like, um, as I close today and the praise band sings, Pete will be up here if you would like someone to pray with. You can also always just pray right there where you're at. And our God promises to hear you when you pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much because you are good and you are faithful, Lord, and you love us not because of anything that we have done, but because of your great love and your mercy and your grace bestowed on us and undeserving people. Thank you, Father God, that you meet us where we're at, but you don't leave us there, that your plans for us are good and your purpose for us is is hopeful Lord, may you speak to each of our hearts today where we're at and call us into relationship and obedience to you and you alone. In your name I pray. Amen.